0: Live. Live from to This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle. Follow me. Follow me with freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast, this is New York sports talk, Long Suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Big show this week. We are transitioning out of the college basketball season into the baseball season. We're going to have our March Madness coverage. We have some baseball stuff coming up for you. We're going to be joined in just a bit by Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal. We're going to preview the baseball season, talk about the Yankees, the Mets. Who wins the divisions? Some playoff teams, all that good stuff with Jared in just a bit. Also do our annual MLB over unders with our legal correspondent Phil Fred, a big baseball guy. We went four and two each last year. We'll see if we can improve going forward here. That's going to be coming up in just a bit. I also am going to weigh in the end of the show on the premiere of Marvel's Moon Knight coming out last Wednesday on Disney Plus. I'll give you my thoughts the first episode. What we could be looking forward to with this season that's coming up at the end of the show. Before we get into our March Madness wrap up with Troy Moriel, I want to thank you guys for listening to Just and the Suffering podcast. If you like what you're listening to here, feel free to subscribe on the Apple Podcasts, Tune TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, all your usual suspects. Simply search for the Just and the Suffering podcast your favorite podcast platform. You follow episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and starring as well help with the podcast even better going forward. Just check out the YouTube page Mike Phillips on YouTube. Videos of the chats with Troy, Jared Diamond, and Phillip will be up on YouTube channel. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any further ado, let's wrap up the March Madness. We're going to chat with Troy Moriello about the Final Four and our national champion right after this. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast, wrapping up our coverage of a very wild March Madness tournament. Joining me today, our co-host for the month of March. Now we are right, signing off for the season here. Troy Moriel is here. Troy, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, Mike. I'm a little bit, a little bit sad. You know, the madness is over now. It's uh, been a really fun four or five weeks that we got to do this, but uh, unfortunately, now we got to wait what eleven months now for uh, for March Madness to come back. So I'm a little bit melancholy this morning.
0: Yeah, I mean, even just like getting college basketball itself back, we're waiting till November, which is gonna be a while.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's too long of an off season now. The good thing is, you know, with the transfer portal, obviously there's guys entering every every minute. It feels like so, you know, the off season really never never ends, uh, or the season really never ends for college basketball. But yeah, in terms of getting games back, uh, we do have to wait about what eight or seven or eight months now. So that's gonna be gonna be a long off season for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of stuff going on now. I mean, this is sort of like. Coming, coming in mini NBA, like right? we have the transfer portal guys, when they want to declare for the draft, the recruits who haven't committed yet. I mean, there's some intrigue, but nowhere near enough to keep you engaged. Like the NBA free agency stuff does.
1: No, no. Yeah. It's definitely not on that level, but it, it, you're right. It is getting to that level. You know, it does kind of feel like in a way, free agency. And in a way it's kind of cooler. I guess if you're a fan of one of the teams like myself, uh, you know, a little bit more nerve wracking when you don't know who's going to become, you know, a quote unquote free agent, you know, you don't know that. Uh, Who's going to enter the transfer portal? Who's going to go to the draft? Uh, It certainly is fun, but yeah, it's not on the the NBA level, but it is getting there, I would say.
0: It is getting there. Let's talk a little bit about what we saw this weekend. We'll get to the championship game in May, which took a wild swing, couple of points here. But we'll start off with the, probably the headline of the week is the Duke-UNC Final Four game. Probably the most epic game of the Uh. weekend and shot making back and forth. So much fun to watch. Your general reaction of that game.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, you and I are obviously a little bit on the younger side for people who who watch college basketball for sure. But, you know, in the 15 or so years that I can, you know, fully remember watching college basketball, um, one of the best games I've ever seen. And, you know, maybe that's a little bit of recency bias. But, you know, when you take into consideration everything that surrounded this game, uh, of course, it's a Final Four game. It's between, you know, the two biggest rivals in the sport, if not the two biggest rivals in all of sports. Uh, Then you throw in Coach K's final game as well. And I think Jim Nance, you know, said it perfectly on the broadcast towards the end. You know, how often do you have that much hype going into a game? And then not only does it deliver on the hype, but it exceeds the hype. Like you mentioned, the shot making was phenomenal. We had, what, 17 lead changes. Um, You know, you knew basically from the first five or 10 minutes that this game was going to come down to the wire. Um, You know, two rivals, Coach K's final game, like I mentioned. Uh, It was just an epic, epic game obviously Duke's free throw shooting kind of shoots them in the foot there at the end. Uh, you know, uh, love hits that big shot for North Carolina. That's kind of the dagger in that one. Uh, just an absolutely phenomenal game. You know, UNC now has the bragging rights forever. Of course they would have liked to win the national title, but they will always have that, that they ended coach K's career. Uh, and not only did that, but did it in the final four. So that Duke UNC game, you know, we're, when you look at this tournament, you know, we, we said it a couple of weeks ago, St. Peter's, you know, 20 years from now, when we go talk about the the 2022 NCAA tournament, of course, we're going to remember St. Peter's and that Cinderella run. But I think one of the main things we're going to remember, if not the main thing, maybe even more so than Kansas winning, is that Duke-UNC classic Final Four game that was Coach K's final game. It's, it's something that we're going to remember for a lifetime.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've mentioned like big games that don't deliver the hype I'm thinking automatically as, in terms of recent memory, Super Bowl the fifty five was it with the Buccaneers and the Chiefs. It was, it was, oh, mm-hmm. Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes would be fantastic. And then the game's a blowout. So back at this mm-hmm. game not only lived up to the moment, you had plenty of lead changes, nobody was blowing each other out. You had some great theory down the stretch. And this is one where I do feel bad. People say, Oh, you know, Duke choked I'm like I don't think Duke choked. Yeah, I think these teams both play great, both deserve to win, and you only have one person win a game. And you want to blame anybody, you can say, okay, maybe Mark Williams missing the two free throws down the street. It still it takes a ridiculous mm-hmm. shot from Caleb Love, like, on the other end mm-hmm. to make that matter.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I was kind of thinking the same thing with the national title as well, thinking, you know, with two minutes to go, oh, my goodness, one of these teams is just going to be absolutely devastated, you know, in that Duke-UNC game, because they both played phenomenally. Like you mentioned – uh, yeah, the free throw shooting, you know, Williams missing the two there. That's going to be the thing that everyone harps on. But no, I, I wouldn't say that that Duke choked. Yeah, like you mentioned, that love shot was phenomenal. Um, yeah, UNC just, I, I would say, I guess, out executed them in the end. But at the end of the day, you know, this game was a total toss up, as was the national title game. Just a total toss up in the final, you know, five, 10 minutes as to who was going to win. Uh, and UNC, of course, comes out with the win in that one and then comes up short in the national title.
0: Yeah, before we go on to the Dice, tell you, I want to talk, touch on what we can look forward to for Duke next year. Because obviously, Coach K is retired. I don't think he's going to pull a Tom Brady on to retire and come back <laughs> in a month. I don't think he's going to do that. So, John Shire is running the program. They have a good class of recruits coming in. They have five, five impact players coming in. The top five scores, should be off to the NBA. So, Jeremy Rourke's probably the only guy back. So, I think we're going to see what John Shire does. He has a lot of talent coming in. Good job on the recruiting trail. But I'm curious to see what they look like next year.
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of odd because, you know, yeah, sure, it's the end of an era. You know, Coach K was, has been there forever. Uh, it's certainly going to be weird, but, you know, they're bringing in John Shire, who's kind of been like the de facto head coach for the last couple of years now. So, you know, it's not going to be this major change for Duke that we've maybe seen when some other legendary coaches uh, move on in, in college basketball. And, yeah, I mean – you know Duke's going to be Duke. They're going to be they're going to be relying on freshmen again, like you mentioned. Uh, I'm looking at their recruiting here. They've got three of the top five players according to 247, and then four of the top 13. So you know they're going to have a loading loaded recruiting class. Uh, they're going to be, I'm sure, a top five, top 10 team uh, preseason. And I think that their goal again remains to win a national title. You know I don't think that the expectations necessarily change. You know, now that, that Coach K is not on the sidelines for them, I don't think it's going to be a big culture change or anything like that. We're not going to see a rebuild, you know, because Coach K has obviously built up that brand now for the past 20, 30 years really uh, as to what Duke is. I don't think that they're going to have a hard time getting recruits or anything like that. Um, you know, it's I think that the beat is just going to kind of march on for them going forward. So yeah, you know, this loss hurts and I'm sure it hurts to lose Coach K if you're a Duke fan, but uh, I think that the future still remains very, very bright for them.
0: I'm curious how this impacts Shire's like, expectation level down there because, like, if he's taking over after, if, say, they Duke him one and they win the title and Coach K goes off in the sunset with a win, I wonder if it's easier for him to just, like, take over compared to coming off what might be, a lot of fans are about the biggest disappointment in Duke history, the way they lost these games and they lost Coach K last home game, they lost the UNC in the Final Four and Coach K's career. I wonder if that's more pressure on him in year one.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, the pressure is always going to be there, for sure. You know, it's, it's Duke, you're following up, Uh, The most legendary coach in in really all of college sports, I would say. But yeah, I think there is a little bit of added pressure now when you look at how this season uh, ended and the disappointment that that came with this season. Like you mentioned, you know, if they would have won it all or, you know, maybe if uh, if they would have won it all, you know, maybe the expectations for next year are a little bit less with that fan base. You know, like I said, Duke is a program that expects to win every single season. Uh, they expect to win a national title. It's now been seven years, going to be eight years next year that they've won one. So, you know, the expectations are there. And I think that that just gets added on to the pressure of following up this legendary head coach for John Shire.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now let's get to this championship game. And, boy, this was wild. I mean, mm-hmm. Kansas comes out of the gate. They're red hot. They're up 9-3 early. Then North Carolina goes this huge run. They're up 40-25 at the half. They're up 16 at one point. I'm sure a lot of people on the East coast went to bed saying, you know, okay, this game's (laughs) over. And boy, if you tuned out of that game, you missed a wild finish.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What a phenomenal game. It almost, kind of felt like a little bit of an NBA game to me, yeah. right? With the runs back and forth, um, you know, where, where you know, the first half, almost whatever happened in the first half doesn't matter. You know, you uh, like you said, Kansas gets out to this early lead. UNC goes out on a big run before halftime and then really right out of the gate in the second half, Kansas goes on this big run. Uh, just an, a complete back and forth game. You know, when, when you consider obviously what happened with Duke-UNC on Saturday night, maybe it wasn't on the level of that. But still a phenomenal national title game i would say probably the best national title game that we've seen in five or six years um you know we've we've had some stinkers recently uh but yeah the the defensive intensity from kansas in the second half i think won them this game they held unc to what 29 points in the second half after allowing 40 uh caleb love did not have a good game took 24 shots uh for for unc only went five of 24 missed a couple shots at the end there as well um so yeah i I would just say kansas you know they, they really stepped up on the defensive end that was what got them this win, but another game that was a total toss up, back and forth, uh really could have gone either way.
0: Yeah, I and mean, he was looking at us tonight. I mean, we were talking we t- during the game at the end of the first half, the play there where North Carolina misses the three, Kansas boxes out Bay cop They don't block box out Puff Johnson. He comes in, gets the easy putback layup, got forty twenty five. I'm sure a lot of people said, okay, you know, North Carolina is dominating on the glass. They are 18 two second chance opportunities. Like this game is over. But if you watch this tournament you remember what kansas did to miami when they were playing very badly the first half, not losing by as much but they played terribly and then they came out and just said game like turn and went to another level and that, that's sort of what happened here i think like that's sort of something i feel like if you pay attention to this tournament, saying okay this might not be over yet let's see what happens the first like five minutes out of the break and kansas is flat in the game getting over
1: yeah and if you're going to win a national title if you're going to win six games in this tournament uh six in a row you know, you need to have that kind of in you You know, you need to have that where, you know, you play a, a, a crappy first half, you know, you don't play great, you're down 15 in, in this, uh, like you mentioned the Miami game, they didn't play great as well in the first half, you know, you need to have a couple of games where you just flip a switch in the second half, you know, not everyone can do that, but a championship level team can, uh, if you're going to win a national title, you have to do that. Uh, And and Kansas was able to do that uh, in the second half of this one. And honestly, you know, UNC, uh, turning back to UNC for a second, you know, I I feel like the entire tournament we are kind of waiting – maybe not not expecting, but maybe waiting to see, you know, would the UNC of the regular season come out? You know, would the UNC in January and February kind of come out? And that would be their downfall. And it really never did until the the second half of this game, you know, where UNC looked like that team that was really a bubble team all season long. That was an eight seed all season long. Uh, it finally happened for them in the second half where they just kind of looked a little bit overmatched. That was really the only time I would say in this tournament where they really looked like they were overmatched by their opponent obviously the Baylor run was one thing but that was more just I, I think Baylor making a furious run uh they did look a little bit overmatched in the second half the the other shoe kind of fell finally from North Carolina where they looked like that team that was a bubble team all season long that that was my take on that
0: yeah my observation with that was honestly it's like they got so far away with what this did to success of the first half they were just attacking the paint Baycott mm-hmm. had double double by halftime and they were just crushing on the glass crushing second chances and then all of a sudden you know they're chucking up threes. You have four people outside the perimeter and Baycott down low. And like, they were way too slow to get back to what they were doing. That time that happened, the game's basically tied and you're in a dogfight.
1: And even to that point, I mean, look at their their second to last possession. You know, you don't need a three there. There was plenty of time left to to take it to to foul, to hope the Kansas maybe misses a free throw or, or, or two, uh or misses the front end of a free throw, and you're down by one at that point. Uh, instead, what do they do? They shoot a three. They shoot and they get a rebound. They shoot another three. uh You know, they they just they they didn't really seem like that. That was the smart thing that they had a timeout as well. They didn't use it. Uh, I believe Manic got a rebound. He could have put it right back up for two. Kicked it back out instead. Yeah. Just it, it feels like they were too reliant on the three ball, especially uh, on that second to last possession. I did not like what they did there. I would have taken the quick two. You know, you hear the announcers always say you don't need a three here. Uh, I didn't think that they needed a three there to try to tie the game. They could have taken the two and, and then let the game play out, try to extend the game. Uh, now Kansas did their best to give it back to them, but but still, uh, I didn't I didn't love that that second to last possession by North Carolina.
0: Yeah, I think one thing that's important to mention here about that end game sequence is that like right before I think they were down one, they had the ball there. Armando Bakai ends up like, like hurting his ankle again. You saw the VEP replay that like the that like basically a problem with the floorboard, one of the floor panels yeah. came loose and he's and he's it bent on gate his ankle. He comes out of the game there. And then you wonder maybe that not having Baekai down low and having Manic be the five, maybe they said, you know we can't go low. We have to shoot outside. And instead of trying to just attack the rim and either get to the stripe or get a quick layup.
1: Mm -hmm. And yeah, that, that was a really unfortunate thing. You know, that's, I guess that's kind of one of the downfalls of, of, of playing a game uh, in a football stadium, you know, playing a basketball game in a football stadium. Obviously they're always going to do that, but yeah, uh, I don't think that that happens, you know, if if we're in a, a basketball arena with Baycott, but you know, what a, what a, what a gutsy effort for him, you know, he only shot three of 13 from the field. Uh, but 15 points, 15 rebounds, like you mentioned. I think he was the first player ever to have six straight double-doubles in the NCAA tournament. He does it on the bad ankle as well, and then he re-injures it at the end there. Um, yeah, really gutsy performance by Baycock. But, yeah, you have to wonder, uh, did that injury kind of sway what UNC did on that on that possession? Yeah, it's, it's certainly a good point.
0: Yeah, i also think of, a will be a victor of the moment, too, because – Throughout this tournament, we've seen Caleb Love hit big shot to big shot. He hit the big shots against Baylor. He hit a big shot against UCLA. He hit the big shot to Barry Duke. So, the modern must have figured, oh, you know, like, we'll give it to Caleb Love. He'll make something happen. You said 24 shots. He only makes four. That's maybe one of those things you said, it's not your night.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> even with that, you know, even going four of 24, um, you know, when, when he released it, I was like, this is going to go in probably just because it's what we've seen throughout the tournament from him. He's hit big, like you mentioned, big shot after big shot. Um, You know, obviously it's easy to play kind of, you know, Monday morning quarterback there and say, oh, that was a terrible shot. But, you know, in the moment, maybe I wasn't as upset with that uh because he's hit so many of them. But, yeah, if you're Caleb Love, maybe it wouldn't be, would have been smarter there to say, you know what, let's try to attack the basket or let's try to get someone else a good look here because it's just not my night. Um, but yeah, in the moment, I can't say I was too upset about that, but looking back, it was probably not the best shot.
0: Yeah. Also, one thing I don't understand from the fallout of the game here is like, how do Baji end up winning uh, most outstanding player for the final four? Because to me, like he was not that great in that game. It's a bunch of free throws. He was not a factor down the stretch here. Dave McCormick, I think should have won that award.
1: Yeah, and McCormick had that big game against Villanova as well. Um yeah, the double double for him 15 and 10, uh 7 to 15 from the field. He had a couple of big shots at the end there. Yeah, I think Abaji, maybe it's you know kind of a case where you know, the quarterback kind of wins Super Bowl MVP a lot of the time. Uh is their best player, of course. You know, their most notable player, so maybe they just gave it to him. But, yeah, you know, if you're looking at the the Kansas roster and, you know, who played great for them, uh, you know, he doesn't really stand out. Obviously, they had five guys in double figures in this game. Yeah, but I wouldn't say that Abadji, uh really stood out above everyone else in this one at least.
0: Yeah, I also think in terms of like big shots in that game, I can't think of one He-Ban. No, Remy Martin's three in the corner definitely, yeah. like when they helped gain the lead, was big. And McCormick getting back-to-back down low with Brady Maddock in the final minute there mm-hmm. to give them the lead and then put them up three. And those are the shots. I'm like, that's the most-handed player to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, even Remy Martin, you know, uh, four of six from three-point range in this one. I think he had what, 14 points off the bench? Yeah, yeah 14 points off the bench. Uh, he was phenomenal in, in this one as well. Without him, they certainly don't win. Like you mentioned, hit that big three in the corner towards the end. Uh, yeah, it was a total team effort from Kansas. You know, I think you could have given it to really uh, one or three or four guys on their team tonight. Um, yeah, but but Abachi, like I said, I think because he was maybe the most notable guy, he probably gets it in the end.
0: All right, let's take a look ahead for these two teams going forward here. In terms of North Carolina, obviously, they have this incredible run. You feel good about Huber Days, the coach, going forward. You wonder now, like, if some of these guys who had these big tournaments, like Armando Baycott, like Caleb Love, go test the NBA wars, or right? are they going to be without Leaky Black Is going to be graduating? I think RJ Davis, I think, is graduating as well. But, like, what do you think about them going forward here, what they could do next year?
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I, I don't really follow the NBA draft too closely, but I don't think that that um, Davis or Love or even Armando Baycott are going to be these, these, you know, crazy high lottery picks. Maybe Love played himself into that consideration, but, you know, just in and the draft boards that I, I looked at uh, today, I didn't really see them, you know, that high on any of them. Again, maybe they play themselves into that role. Um, they will certainly, I would assume that they're going to test the draft waters, but, you know, you could see a scenario where Baycott and Love are, are back next season or, and uh, maybe even Davis as well. But, you know, and if that's the case, I think we could be looking at North Carolina kind of how we looked at UCLA this season. You know, UCLA, that blue blood team, they made that miraculous run to the final four last season. They lose on a buzzer beater. Uh, They basically bring their entire team back or at least all the meaningful guys from that team back this year. And they go into the year as kind of a final four national title favorite um, if North Carolina can get a couple guys of their core to come back next season, uh, they could be kind of looked at as that as well. You know, a team that obviously makes it all the way to a, uh, to a national title game in a season that they went into the tournament as an eight seed, where they were kind of on the bubble all season long. They could go into next season, kind of like UCLA did this season with those national title aspirations. So uh, it's going to be, it's going to be very, very interesting. Like we said, you know, with the, with the transfer portal, I don't think any of those guys will transfer, but with the transfer portal, with the NBA draft, uh, it, it's really hard to predict, you know, seven months out, what teams are going to look like. But I, I would say that it's, it's a good chance that UNC is a, it's a top four, top five team going into next season.
0: Yeah. I think the key for them is Baycock. I feel like, like he was the most unstoppable player for them throughout the tournament. And like, he's one where like you look at it, if he's a second round pick, like how much is he gaining realistically going back to school? Especially after a stage like this on the late tournament. I mean, it's not impressive. We saw Drew Timmy do this last year when he had the great tournament, lost for Gonzaga, came back another year, but you wonder, does Baycott think, am I gonna get any better? Is it worth me to stay and get collect NIL money or just jump make the jump to the pros now and get a contract and start build like earning more serious money?
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's always the decision these these guys have to make right now. And the NIL, you know, making money now off yourself, that obviously clouds the the decision even more um, for these guys, you know, the flip side of that is maybe he's saying, you know, I'm a, I'm a second round pick. I'm projected a second round pick. Um, even next year, I'm going to be a second round pick as well. Maybe I'll just come back to school and try to win a national title. Uh, but you know, you, you'd always wonder, you know, how important is it to those guys? Every guy is different. Of course, you know, in terms of, of what they want to do on the collegiate level, maybe he says, you know what, I got this team to a national title game. I want to go get paid now. I want to go uh, get drafted into the NBA, which he, um, he almost certainly will. Uh, yeah. You know, so every guy is different. It's going to be a tough decision. You know, every decision is different for these guys. Um, so yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting, but you know, if he does come back, I think you, and if, if UNC returns a couple other guys of their core, uh, I think that they're, you know, a national title favorite going into next season.
0: Yeah, I think the more interesting one is obviously Kansas who right now is our national champions. They are, are earned that win. They have a lot of guys leaving school right now, mm-hmm. obviously. Right. Martin is no longer eligible. eligibility. There's McCormick or Mitch Lightfoot or Raji's going pro. Christian mm-hmm. Brown is is the X factor, I think, in this group. They have a good class coming in, but I think the shadow oh, over, it, hang on all this thing, is this uh, these five level uh, violations being thrown at the program, Bill Self. And you mm-hmm. wonder here, like, is this area where hey, Bill Self's not coaching next year? Does this team have a mm-hmm. postseason ban next year? We saw the chaos going on at LSU right now where basically nobody who was on last year's roster is, is actually committed anymore for new, the new coach, mm-hmm. Matt McMahon, like all the – kids who recruit decommitting. They have a couple of transfer portal guys in there. Like you could be looking at some real chaos at Kansas here, if, if, depending on how the NCAA rules with this.
1: Yeah. How, how crazy would that be? Right. <laughs> if, yeah. if you if, uh, Kansas wins a national title and then, you know, a few months later, their, their coach gets sanctions and, uh, you know, maybe like you said, has to sit out a year. Or they get a postseason ban for next season. Uh, you know, the defending national champs uh, aren't eligible to play in the in the NCAA tournament. How how crazy would that be? Yeah, you know, that cloud certainly hangs over for them. Uh, um, I wouldn't say that they're going to be, you know, at this point that they're a national title favorite going into next season. Like you mentioned, abaji's uh, going pro. McCormick is out of eligibility. Remy Martin is out of eligibility. So they're going to lose a lot of guys. They get Christian Brown back, of course, but... You know, I would say that they're probably still going to be around the top of the big 12 for sure you know them and and probably Baylor and a couple other teams um, as usual but yeah I wouldn't say that it's you know national title their bust next season for Kansas and of course you know in the back of your mind you're wondering are they even going to be eligible what's going to go on with that so uh certainly going to be a different look in in, uh, in Kansas next season one way or another uh, I think that they're very hapful, uh, very very thankful that they got this national title at least uh, uh, this season.
0: Yeah, I'm curious if this is actually like if self ends up getting banned, the team doesn't, like if maybe they have like a rough year, like you wonder if they're going to try and pull like, I forget which school it is a few years ago where they're having a bit. Ban- I think it was in Auburn a couple of years ago where they had the bill yeah. of the season they were doing bad. You know what? We're not going to play the postseason this year. Like we're not going to yeah. yeah, It's like we're self-imposing. And I think that could yeah, be yeah. a realistic yeah. possibility if they go off to a rough start.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, with Kansas, they're always around the top of the Big 12. But yeah, you know, if you look in in January, February, and they're kind of like, you know, a middling team, maybe they're, you know, ranked somewhere in like the, the high teens, low 20s. Maybe they say to themselves, you know what, this isn't going to be our year, we're going to be, you know, a four or five seed in the NCAA tournament. Let's, uh, let's, let's do this now, you know, you could definitely see that happening. Because yeah, we've seen it in the past, you know, there is a precedent for this. Uh, in the past so yeah wouldn't wouldn't shock me if they did that or if bill self did that uh for kansas this or next season
0: yeah i'm sure for now i mean they're gonna try and fight the NCAA for as long as they can because they do have a good recruiting class come in headlined by grady dick and mcdonald's all American. but like i think this is one where you have to watch very closely because if self gets hit where he's missing like half the season a whole season and the team struggles like and they know that they're probably gonna have to deal with the postseason man at some point they might say, you know, let's just take the as in now and not have it ruin a year. We have a bet more serious title aspirations.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't know if we've ever had something like this where, you know, a team has won a title and it's immediately going to be like in question as to, you know, whether or not it's going to stick or whether or not they're going to face, face some, um, you know, this type of a postseason ban or some kind of sanctions right away uh maybe i'm just i'm blanking on something but i don't know if it's ever happened that immediately where like you know before they even win we kind of know that there's something coming in the future so it's a very very unique situation for sure
0: yeah because from what i can gather here i don't think the title is impacting i feel like all the stuff is happening was like back a couple years ago like you might have like some appearances about maybe that 18 final four gets vacated or something like that but i don't think that like they're gonna have to like not hang this banner
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, is good for them, of course. And, and the whole, you know, vacating titles thing is, is silly in, in general. You know, it's it's silly to say a team didn't win a title. You know, you, uh, Louisville with Patino, that was a big thing, of course. Um, I, I, I never understood that, why they vacate, you know, titles and Final Fours and all that. I, if there's one thing that the NCAA can get rid of, it's that.
0: Yeah, because, like, you're sitting here telling all of us who watched that 2013 NCAA tournament that Louisville <laughs> did not win. Like, we didn't, like what we yeah. saw was a complete fiction. Come on.
1: If you want to make them take the banner down, I I guess, you know, but don't say it didn't happen that that that's always silly to me. It it happened. We all watched it. You know, sure. You know, maybe they cheated a little bit to get there, but it it happened. You know, don't take that away uh, from from the from the school.
0: If MLB not take the trophy from the Astros in 2017, we shouldn't be like forcing teams to like take away their title runs or final fours. That's like that to me is dumb.
1: Exactly, the whole, you know, and that was a big debate, obviously, with the MLB. But hopefully, we can uh, that can set a precedent. I'm sure it won't with the NCAA because they usually don't operate. Uh, you know how the rest of the how the rest of the leagues go. Yeah, but if there's one precedent that I would like to, I would like to see set going forward, it would be that.
0: All right, let's take a quick detour here into one shining moment, which I love. Here, anything really stick out for you from this year's edition of one shining moment? Yeah, you know, being a
1: Big East guy, I got my St. John's hat on right now. Being a Big East guy, I, I didn't see a lot of Big East in this. You know, Villanova made the Final Four. Uh, they barely even got featured. You know, we had, what, 17 or six teams in a the, in the tournament, and, and we had, like, you know, 10 seconds total. Uh, you know, if you don't want to include Marquette and seeing, oh, that's fine. They got blown out right away. But, like, Creighton had a nice run. <clears throat> Excuse me. Providence had a nice run. Villanova made the Final Four. Uh, you know the Big East. It feels like you know we didn't even exist in the, in this one shining moment. Uh, you would've, you would have thought ESPN put it together. Honestly, <laughs> I was really, I was really bummed out by uh, by the Big East representation. But you know, as a whole, I love the one shining moment. Like we we were talking before this. You know, I stay up every year for it. Uh, you know, no matter how late it is, uh, you know, I I, I want to watch it that night. I I, I love it. You know, when we didn't get it a couple of years ago. I was really really sad. Of course. Um, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. It, it just, it totally emphasizes what this tournament is. You know, that one shining moment we talked about St. Peter's, you know, that one shining moment for these players and for this coach, uh, and for the school, it's, 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 it's one of the best things about the tournament, I would say. So as a whole, of course, uh, I, I love it, but I was, just, I was a little upset with the big East representation.
0: Yeah. I was, I was one thing I put on Twitter. I was like, like was build over even in the final and the one shining moment video. Cause like they made the final four and like, they're barely there.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, I, I mean, I know you want to feature St. Peters, of course. Uh we knew that they were it was going to be heavy on St. Peters, but yeah, you would have thought that St. Peters made the final four and not not Villanova. I know that they're there all the time and it wasn't that big of a deal for them, but but come on, give give Villanova a little bit more of a shout out.
0: I mean, like we barely saw like I don't think we saw Jay Wright. I don't think we really saw any of their players apart from like them getting like dunked on by Kansas in the final four yeah. and like we had Michigan playing against them like give them a little love.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was I was really bummed out by that. Uh, you know, like I like I said, the Big East did not get its uh, get its due like the other conferences did. Unfortunately,
0: I will say, apart from St. Peter's, I knew two things were going to be in the video. I was very like had my prediction skills here. It was like one was the cheerleader getting the basketball down from the top yeah. of the stanchion. I knew that was going to be in there, and like yeah. Jawan Howard hugging the crying Tennessee player. When I saw that happen, well, I'm like, that's going to be in the March management video at some point.
1: Yeah, yeah, and the um. <laughs> Were the was the um, was it Matherin who had that dunk? I don't think that was in it against against TCU when he posterized the guy. That was one that I was for sure was going to be in there, and I don't know if it was. There was did, a couple it, it of didn't. like, I, yeah, I don't think it made the cut. Yeah, that was one thing that I was I was surprised didn't make the cut. Um, uh, But yeah, the cheerleader, you knew the second that that happened, you were like, all right, this is going to be on one shining moment for sure, and the Jawan Howard thing as well. Uh, Two things that you were like. Yeah, like you know, once you saw them live, you were like, "This is going to be a highlight of, of the tournament."
0: Yeah, I saw that happen, and I think in terms of like they didn't put the Mather dunk in. I think they put the dunk from Auburn in. I think that was the one uh, they put in. They had Mather hitting the three against TCU, you like know, mm-hmm. overtime.
1: Yeah, the Auburn dunk was another one that I noticed um, as well. Yeah, some ones that I thought were shoe ins for uh, for one shining moment did didn't uh, didn't make it. But yeah, the cheerleader thing is hilarious. I mean, you you knew that was gonna, that was going to be featured um that's like again that's like what the tournament is like weird funny things like that happening uh there's nothing better than
0: it yeah i feel bad for all the other underdogs you usually get the spotlight for i pulled the outside like saint peter's stole all their thunder
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah there was no upset talk outside of saint peter's uh you know and i mean rightfully so they made history of course but yeah they certainly took up a big sh- uh, chunk of uh, of this year's one shining moment
0: yeah, let's take a little look ahead also to next season here in terms of like some teams to watch early on in terms of like I know they, a lot of the way too early top 25s are out today, the way too early mm-hmm. top 10s like who are a couple of teams you have your eye on here? I know, we again, we are seven months away from a ball being yeah. tipped again. We have a whole transfer portal to go through a whole NBA draft cycle. But in terms of like teams you can see right now and say this team could get to Houston next year. Who's some teams you're looking at?
1: Yeah, well, you know, you talk about these uh, way too early top 25s. I think uh, Brazello on, uh, on ESPN did one. He had Arkansas, I believe, as, as number one uh, in his way too early top 25. And, you know, you look at that recruiting class that they brought in. I think they had three five-stars and three four-stars coming in. Just an absolutely loaded recruiting class. I think second in the country behind Duke. Uh, for the Razorbacks. Musselman has done great on the transfer portal as well. So we'll see who he brings back. Um, I'm not sure, you know, what their their lineup is going to return in terms of guys from last year. Of course that remains, you know, to be seen, but, you know, Arkansas is a team that's been knocking on the door. They've been right there the last two years, two elite eight appearances. Um, You know, I think the next year is a reasonable uh, expectation for them to make the final four. You know, when you look at this loaded recruiting class coming in, of course, you know, you never know how freshmen are going to react to the college game. Uh, But when you have, you know, five star top 10 nationally recruits, uh, you know, you can kind of assume that they're going to be able to adapt pretty well. And by the end of the season, they're going to be playing pretty well. Um, of course, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out. Look at Michigan. They were, you know, looked at as a team that was a top five team, uh, at this time last year. And they kind of, you know, they, they were a sweet 16 team, but they were kind of on the bubble most of the season. So, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out, but I would say right now, Arkansas for sure. Uh, and one team that this season was really, you know. All freshmen, uh, you know, over um, overachieved uh, for sure. Made the NCAA tournament was Creighton. You know, Creighton was a was a team that brought in so many freshmen. Had a big class coming in. Uh, made the Sweet 16 last season. Uh, this season they make an NCAA tournament appearance. They probably gave Kansas one of its toughest games of the tournament outside of the final. You know, Can- uh, Creighton was right there with Kansas for a long way uh, through. They had they had a couple of injuries. Kalkbrenner and uh, and Nemhard both got hurt. Both of those guys should be back. McDermott is a heck of a coach. Uh, you know I'm a Big East guy, so I had to give a shout out to to Creighton there. I think that we could see Creighton as preseason number one in the Big East next season, uh, ahead of Villanova. With all the Villanova is going to use, of course, uh, of course, Villanova is you know a, a top fifteen team going into next season. But you know Creighton could be top ten here, and they they're going to go in with real expectations. So I'm really looking forward to see how they how they play next season.
0: Yeah, a couple other ones to throw out here is Houston, obviously, because they're going to get back both Trayvon Mark and Marcus Sasser. That team got to the agency. They're going to bring back a lot of that team. They're going to be active in the portal. They have a top-ten recruit coming in, Jarius Walker. So I would not be shocked if they are playing in Houston for the Final Four. which would be a lot of fun. UCLA, I think, getting the year separated from the highest. Like people have to be as high on them as they were in this year. I don't think they did enough to see Johnny Juzang or Haquez or Peyton Watson go pro. I think you have a chance to be stacked up there. And I think, again, in terms of, like, teams you could watch here, I think Duke, I'll mention them here, and talk about mm-hmm. Kentucky here, because, like, right now, I mean, everybody assumes sort of the Oscar Shea that they go pro to win the Player of the Year awards, but if he comes mm-hmm. back and you have a recruiting class coming here, if it's a more balanced blend, how power he's done the past, of bringing all the five-star, one-and-done kids, and last year when transfer heavy, I think you get a better balance here of those things, I think Kentucky would be very dangerous.
1: Yeah, yeah, and yeah, she, with Sheway, it doesn't sound like it's you know a done deal that he's going pro. And yeah, if he's if he's able to come back for them, uh, yeah, that's that's probably the preseason number one I would say, or, or up there for sure. Um, You know, and those those blue blood type programs, they don't usually have two bad seasons in a row. It's very rare to see that. Obviously, the season wasn't bad for Kentucky, but, you know, losing so early in the tournament this season, um, you know, you definitely think that they're going to be kind of extra motivated for next season to get back to, you know, deep in the NCAA tournament and deep into the Final Four. Um, So it'll be very, very interesting to see that for them. And then, you know, with UCLA, like you mentioned, a team that really, you know, should bring a lot of their core back. You know, Juzang flirted with the draft last season, but wouldn't shock me to see him come back again. And, you know, that's a team that should win the Pac-12. Arizona, you would assume, is going to take a step back from uh, how they were this season. So I think UCLA goes into next season probably right now, at least as the favorites in the Pac-12. We'll see how, again, the draft and the portal shakes up, but could be high
0: expectations for them again. Yeah, I think, again, we'll say here, these are predictions on April 5th. Yeah, <laughs> it, it could be very different on June fifth, let alone on November fifth. It could be di-
1: different on April eighth. <laughs> yeah. We don't know, you know, how, how the how the portal and how the draft is going to go. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to predict this stuff so far out. But yeah, just you know, uh, just giving a snapshot of of how it could be uh, seven months from now.
0: Yeah, it is a snapshot here. And Troy, I figured your guys would be reacting the portal this year
1: uh yeah we'll see about it you know st john's they got to bring in a couple of uh they definitely got to bring in a shooter you know they're, they're flirting with uh, andre corbello from illinois so we'll see if they're able to land him uh you know they've been involved in a lot of guys but yeah they need they need uh certainly a shooter to uh to kind of space the floor you know build the team around posh alexander they lose julian champagny they lose aaron wheeler uh who are two big wings for them so they need to bring in kind of you know a slasher type shooter that can uh space the floor over posh alexander it's going to be posh's team next season so you know got to kind of build around him and, and his strengths and you know his strengths like i said are kind of spacing the floor out giving him room to operate in the paint uh so we'll see about that
0: all right, absolutely and troy thanks for all the time i really appreciate it before i let you go beautiful follow- social media keep up with some of the stuff you're up to
1: definitely yeah you can follow me on twitter at troy moriello uh, m-a-u-r-i-e-l-l-o is the last name uh yeah i do the seeing red podcast cover st john's basketball just did a podcast with zach braziller of the new york post so definitely check that out if you're a St. John's fan. If you're a Big East fan, anything like that, uh, definitely check it out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely glad I had you here today. I have to sort of pass the torch here going from the end of college basketball into baseball now. I so can talk from baseball right after this. All right, Mike Phillips here. Hope you enjoyed our college basketball wrap-up with Troy Mario. Before we dive into the baseball a little bit, I wanted to throw some stuff out there for the audience here. Actually, the next two seconds of the podcast, the interview with Jared Diamond, the over-under with our legal correspondent, Phil Fry, recorded. Prior to the end of March, which means we missed out on two big storylines, you're not going to be addressed. So, weigh in real quick. The Yankees, Brian Cashman, going to the Athletic, talking about how he feels that the 2017 team got cheated of a World Series title, and they should not have an aster have a drought and have an asterisk on it. Come on, that's pathetic. The Yankees in that series lost three games in Houston by a combined score of I think two to one, one to nothing, and two to one. So. They couldn't hit in Houston. The Astros weren't hitting either, so the cheating was not really bothering them there. And you can't assume you're going to go out and beat the Dodgers in the World Series. The Dodgers that year were really good, so I think it's lame. I think it's pathetic. It's just more excuse-making for the Yankees or justify for cash and why he hasn't made the World Series in a dozen years. But that's number one. Number two, the Jacob DeGrom thing. He's going to be out for a while. He has a stress reaction in in his shoulder. He's going to be out for probably close to June because we shut down for four weeks. They could check again and see if it's cleared up. Throws a big monkey wrench into the season right now for the Mets, so we will keep that in mind as I'm talking to Jared Diamond and Phil Farrett about the state of the league. But we're now going to dive into those interviews. I'm going to start with our chat with Jared Diamond right after this. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast talking the start of the baseball season. Join me today, the National Baseball Reporter for the Wall Street Journal, Jared Diamond, is here. Jared, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good, and it's nice to talk to you on the podcast. Jared actually helped me out a while back. I did a thesis documentary on the home run ball, and he did a lot of interesting stuff for a researcher, a book called Swing Kings, and I recommend to read that. A lot of fun if you want to learn about the history of the launch angle and stuff like that.
2: Thank you. Yeah, check it out. The book, you know, the book's already what two years old, but I think it still holds up. I hope so. Things in baseball change so quickly, but I I think it still holds up two years later.
0: Yeah, it absolutely does. I'm still learning stuff from that book to this day, but I want to talk about the currency in here. And obviously, we're coming off a bit of a strange spring training here with the lockout, delaying everything. We had the whole free agent frenzy, but now that pretty much all the big names are signed here, like it could be any sort of lingering back from the lockout into this season in terms of whether it's pitchers, it's not stretching out, injuries, anything you could think of?
2: It's going to be very interesting to see. People in the industry are convinced we're going to see a surge in injuries that pitchers are not going to be built up. We do know there's going to be expanded rosters for the first month or actually two months of the season. Uh, we're going to have uh, two players and one extra player on the roster. And the reason people believe all of this is that they're pointing to 2020 where there was clearly a increase in injuries after the second spring training, the summer camp that happened. I will say though, this, this is a little bit different than that. And, and it's why I'm not necessarily sure that looking at 2020 is uh, a sign of what's going to happen this year. If you remember 2020, Spring training shut down about halfway through, or even a little bit later than halfway through. Pitchers were pretty built up at at that point. Everything suddenly shuts down. There's a a long break. No one has any idea when things are going to start again. And then they were, on on a drop of a hat, asked to ramp back up very, very quickly for opening day. The difference this time is that no one got hot to begin with, because spring training never started and no one really knew when it was going to start. So really, I don't know if it's necessarily an apples to apples comparison, but that said, I know from talking to people in baseball, they believe there's going to be injuries and, you know, we'll see. It's one of those things that you'll never really know what the effect is, right. There might be more injuries. There might not. I guess we'll see when the season gets going.
0: Yeah. I feel like if, Based on what I've seen in terms of like the pitch counts, the pitchers are working off here. I mean, apart from maybe Max Scherz, sure, so it feels like no pitcher be ready to go like more than like five innings to start of the season.
2: Yeah, that's probably true. But is that really different than what we've seen in the past few years? I mean, remember last season, twenty twenty one was uh, I think a very didn't get talked about a lot, but we kind of crossed an important threshold, which is the average start in Major League Baseball dipped under five innings for the first time last year. It was just under five innings. It was you know, 4.9 something or whatever it was, but we've already started to see the length that started pitchers go drop and drop and drop and drop. And there's no reason to think it won't drop even more this year. The lockout a reason for that, but honestly, it probably would have dropped even further whether the lockout happened or not.
0: Yeah, that's true. And now we have sort of the off season picture set up here. Who are your big winners in the Austin year? Who did the most to improve themselves over the winter, whether it was before the lockout or after?
2: Well, you we have to talk about the Mets, of course, first and foremost. They had an absolutely fantastic winner, not just with Max Scherzer. Everyone's going talk about Max Scherzer, understandably so, but, you know, Starling Marte, Mark Canna, Eduardo Escobar, some of the other guys they signed to improve their lineup should obviously really help them. The Mets are, are going to be a very, very, very interesting team one way or the other uh, this season. Toronto, of course, is going to get a lot of attention. What, what's so interesting to me about Toronto is that the Blue Jays lost people. They lost the Cy Young winner in Robbie Ray. They lost an infielder in Marcus Simeon who had an absolutely extraordinary season. Uh, but instead of that crippling them, which it easily could have and for maybe other teams it would have, they just went out and replace those guys, which I think is quite admirable, right? So you lose Robbie Ray, you go sign Kevin Gossman, and you sign Yusei Kikuchi. You lose Marcus Simeon, yeah, you're not going to be able to replace that, but you go out and trade for Matt Chapman, and that puts the Blue Jays in a position where a lot of people believe that they might be the best team in what is a very, very competitive AL East. And I also would say something similar about Atlanta, the way they handled – their first base situation. There's a lot of disappointment. They didn't go out and sign Freddie Freeman to the long-term contract, but, you know, emotions aside, you could argue that maybe they're in a better long-term position with the long-term deal for Matt Olson. They would have been with Freddie Freeman. So those are a few teams that, that come to mind. Also Philadelphia, you have to really like the move they make. That's a very, very scary lineup when you're talking about Bryce Harper Kyle Schwarber, Nicholas Castellanos, Reese Hoskins, G- JT Real Muto. Uh, that's another team that that really interests me.
0: Yeah, definitely a lot of fun there. When I want to go start in the local angle here in the New York base. i start with the Mets here. You mentioned obviously they have the huge offseason. They bring in a lot of guys, they change a lot of culture out because last year's team was probably one of the most disappointing in the league. So what do you think about the Mets here? Like, what do you think their chances are to like make a play for the NLEs? Obviously, the Braves are still a little bit ahead of them, in my opinion, but I do think that they're in a good position.
2: I think purely on paper, just looking at the names, I think the Mets are the best team in the NLEs. But the reason I put that qualification of purely on paper, it's because the re- a big reason why I feel that way is because they have Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer in their rotation. And we don't really know what's going to happen with those two guys. I mean, Jacob deGrom missed really most of last half of last season, not more. I don't even remember exactly when he last pitched. June, July, whatever it was. It's been a while since we've seen Jacob deGrom on the mound. Max Scherzer, uh, he's Max Scherzer. He had a great year last year. Let's not forget that down the stretch in the postseason, he struggled. He talked about having the dead arm or whatever it is that he was. Uh, Max Scherzer is 37 years old. He's going to turn 38. And I'm not sure that he necessarily realizes that he's 37 years old, turning 38. So look, if Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer, or Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer, I think they're the best team in the NL East. If they're not, you know, that changes everything. And the reality is we just don't know what they're going to be. Like the Braves just won the World Series last year. I'm not taking anything away from them. They are a great team. But let's not forget that the Braves, they only won 88 games last year. They were not good for much of the season. I know they didn't have Ronald Acuna for a good chunk of it. They made a lot of deals that sort of elevated them at the end of the season. But it's not like the Braves in 2021, despite winning the World Series, where this runaway contender. They won 88 games. They had an incredible uh, sort of stretch run after the trade deadline. So uh, I personally think the Mets might be slightly better. It doesn't mean I'll be right. I think the Braves are really good. I think the Phillies have a chance to be to be good too. It's a very competitive division. Really, everyone besides Washington got better, even Miami. It's sort of a joke because they're the Marlins, and it's very easy to dismiss the Marlins. You know, the Marlins have a really, really nice young pitching staff, especially if Sixo Sanchez comes back to join Sandy Alcantara and Pablo Lopez and Trevor Rogers. So I think the NL East is very, very competitive. I am tentatively picking the Mets, but I really think them and the Braves and you know maybe even the Phillies could be duking it out all year long.
0: Yeah, I know one thing some bad fans complain to me about is they feel like that the lineup changes, yes, that they are a little bit like a different look here that they feel like maybe there's like one big bat short. Do you see that as a little issue for them they may have to look at later in the year?
2: Yeah, it's a valid It's a valid point. I don't think we should underestimate how good the guys they signed are, though, or acquired are, though. Starling Marte was great last year, right? He had, he had 310 batting average. He led the major leagues with 47 stolen bases, ZOPS 841, the guy was really, really good. You know, Eduardo Escobar as well. Not a sexy name. I'm not going to sit here and say that he is. But in 2019, he had 35 homers and 118 RBIs. Last year, he had 28 homers and 90 RBIs. That is serious power. Uh, are they one bat short? You know, maybe, maybe not. I mean, what is Pete Alonso going to do? I do think a lot is riding on Francisco Lindor, right? Francisco Lindor needs to be the Cleveland Francisco Lindor not the New York Francisco Lindor from last year. If he is the Francisco Lindor that the Mets signed, gave all that money to, there's your big bat in the middle of the lineup. You know, if he is that guy, that helps a lot. Now, I actually thought that the Mets were a starting pitcher short and then they go out and traded for Chris Bassett and suddenly you're like, man, DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett, Carrasco, Walker. That's pretty good. I do agree with you that the lineup, there's some questions in it, uh, and I think a lot of eyes are going to be on Lindor. A lot of eyes are going to be on Pete Alonso as well. But again, just the names in the lineup—if they do what you sort of think they could do—I think there's, I think there's enough there. And we also know that the Mets are not going to hesitate with Steve Cohen to go out and acquire somebody if needed at the trade deadline. I guarantee to you, uh, they will be busy uh, at the trade deadline if they if they think they're a piece away.
0: Yeah, it makes some sense. And I want to stick in the least for one second here, because obviously you talk about the Braves. They won the World Series. They they replaced Freeman with Matt Olson in the long-term contract here. Bring Duval back. Saka Cunha might be back in May. And a lot of the same guys are back. They did lose a couple of the fringe pieces there. But, like, and what do you think the Braves' chances are of making another deep October run?
2: I mean, they just won the World Series, so you have to respect them, especially Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to come back and – you know, there's a valid argument to be made that he is the best player in baseball right now, right? I mean, it's been Mike Trout for so long. Eventually, it won't be Mike Trout. And Ron Acuna Jr. is as good of a candidate to supplant Mike Trout in that role as anybody. So it's a it's a really good team. There's no question about it. The starting rotation is really good still. You still have Max Freed. You still have Ian Anderson. You still have Charlie Morton, that bullpen. We saw what they did in the postseason last year, right? Tyler Matzik was a revelation. Now they have Kenley Jansen to go along with all the other guys that they already had in that bullpen. They're the great team. And if you told me right now that you think they're the favorite in the NL and they're better than the Mets. Yeah, sure. Like I, I would never argue that point. I think they're a really good team. The projections generally prefer the Braves to the Mets. The projections are still very high on the Braves. It's hard to argue with that. Um, I really look forward to seeing the Mets and Braves do get out. Like we kind of forget that that was a great rivalry for a long time in the late nineties into the two thousands. The Mets and Braves were like a really legitimate rivalry. You know, they met in the postseason a few times. Uh it was really fun. So I, I'm looking forward to maybe getting back to that.
0: Yeah, I think that'd be fun to see too. I shift gears across town to the Yankees here, and they certainly had an interesting offseason, whereas they come off a disappointing year where twenty twenty doesn't go the way they planned. Twenty twenty one, they're struggling most of the way. Get in late, get beat up in the wild card game. There's talk, about, oh, you need to either to change the manager, make big change. the roster. They bring the manager back. They tweak the roster. They don't do a ton. But like, what's your sense of what you think the Yankees did to change themselves up this winter?
2: The Yankees are absolutely baffling, and I I don't understand what they're doing. Um, and look, they're the Yankees, and every time you think the Yankees are not going to be good you're wrong, right? Like I've been wrong about the Yankees seemingly every year where they have teams where you look up and down the roster and you're like, this is not a good baseball team and they win a hundred games. So I'm not going to sit here and say that the Yankees are not going to be good. That said, like my gut and heart tells me they're the fourth best team in the AL East, which like, it's insane to say that. And like, I say that with the knowledge that I'm probably going to be, incredibly wrong because that's what the Yankees do but it's sort of baffling right like why didn't they sign Carlos Correa to that to the contract that the Twins signed him for why didn't they go get Freddie Freeman or or someone else to play first base like why didn't they improve their starting rotation like I, I don't know I don't know why they didn't do anything this winter and yeah okay they they traded for Josh Donaldson Okay, is that supposed to be inspiring to anybody? Josh Donaldson is not a young guy, he's 36 years old. The twins were desperate to get out of the Josh Donaldson contract. Why do we think that this is going to be the answer that's going to fix the Yankees? And by the way, more important, their starting rotation after Garrett Cole is the same it's Jordan Montgomery, it's Nestor Cortez, it's Jameson Tyon. Luis Severino, no one knows what any of these guys are going to do. It's it's just baffling to me. It doesn't mean the Yankees aren't going to be good, because like you said, they were really good last year, and they have roughly the same team. They bring back Anthony Rizzo. You're still going to have Joey Gallo. You, know, you hope that Gleyber Torres is better than he has been. He's not playing shortstop anymore. Your defensive shortstop is greatly improved, you think, with Isaiah kana kind of like There's things about the Yankees that you like, but then you like look around the division and you're like Toronto got like clearly better like they made move to clearly get better after winning 90 games last year. Boston after making the ALCS last year went out and clearly got better by signing Trevor Story, who's one of the biggest free agents on the market. And then Tampa Bay is Tampa Bay. Like you you underestimate Tampa Bay at your own peril. Like, the Rays are the pretty much the same team they were last year but the Rays were significantly better than the Yankees last year. And the Rays might have the best overall pitching from top of the rotation to last guy of the bullpen in all of Major League Baseball. That's just what the Rays do. So it's like, I just don't get why it was clear that the Yankees had opportunities to improve their team and didn't do it because they have Anthony Volpe in the minor leagues. Like Everything I hear about Anthony Volpe is that he's going to be great. There are scouts that I've talked to I talk with Anthony Volpe like he's the second coming of Derek Jeter, and that's great. I hope that is the case, but it's not going to be in 2022. So I don't. I just don't. I just don't understand why the Yankees had the offseason they had.
0: Yeah, it's also wild. You think about the fact that the Yankees basically gave the Twins the salary if they need to sign Carlos Correa when they're just signing him alone would probably be the Yankees much better.
2: Yeah, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. There's to me, there's no excuse why the Yankees didn't just sign Carlos Correa. You don't want to give him a long-term deal. Fine. I, mean, I don't really know why they probably should have just given him a long-term deal, but look at the deal that Carlos Correa ultimately got. You're saying the Yankees couldn't have beaten that deal. I mean, or given them that deal. Of course they could have. And it just, it is confusing. And look, it's tired to go on this rant about how Hal Steinbrenner is not George Steinbrenner. And the reason I think it's tired is because, George Steinbrenner gets looked at a lot more favorably than probably he deserves, right? Like the, the way when the Yankees actually got good during George Steinbrenner's ownership was when George Steinbrenner's sort of sitting things out and not being George Steinbrenner and letting other people make decisions. So I'm not going to sit here and, and extol George Steinbrenner. I think there's a lot of revisions history about him, but the one thing that you can't, say about George Steinbrenner is he didn't really want to win and he didn't want to try to put the best team on the field every single year and I think there's valid questions about Hal Steinbrenner and what his goals are uh, there's a lot of Yankee fans out there that believe that Hal Steinbrenner is satisfied with putting out a team that you, that's going to be good going to be competitive every year that might make the playoffs, should make the playoffs, might win a title but is not willing to go that extra mile to put them over the hump And I think that's what we saw this offseason. We're like, the Yankees are going to be good. Like They're definitely going to be good. They're not going to be a bad team. Like They're going to be competitive for the postseason. They very easily can make the postseason. Once you're there, you have a chance to win a World Series. That said, they, they, they clearly have holes, and they didn't really address any of that. And I think that is why there's Yankee fans that are disappointed right now.
0: Yeah, I think the way it makes us—I've heard some people describe that they're marginally better. Which, yes, maybe Josh Allen's attitude helps, in the clubhouse of this group got too complacent last year, a little too loosey-goosey, and not really caring about the results on the field as much. But look at the American League East, where you said you have this juggernaut here. And I think if you're not getting a second, out, they're basically very hard with the, even with the extra postseason teams, because the Central and the West are not as strong, and teams there could just pile up wins against weaker foes.
2: Right. You're not going to get four AL East teams in the postseason. which just not. It does the mat, It just won't happen. Right. They play each other too much. Maybe you'll get three. I think there's a very good chance, in fact, that you get three AL East teams in the postseason, but you're probably not getting four. So why put it, why sort of put that to chance, right? Last year in the AL East, the Rays were the best team, right? They had 100 wins. The Red Sox and Yankees were far behind them with 92, and Toronto had 91. I mean, the Red Sox, Yankees, and Blue Jays were basically equally good last year. Um, and you could argue that the Blue Jays and Red Sox did things to get better and the Yankees did not. That doesn't mean that the Yankees will end up being better than them when the season happens. You know, maybe, maybe Luis Severino is great. Maybe Josh is great. Maybe Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Carl Stanton each play 145, 50 games for the first time ever, and both hit 45 home runs. And the Yankees are amazing. Like there's a path for that to happen. But there's a lot of, there's more question marks to me with the Yankees than there are with those other clubs.
0: Yeah. If you had to pick today, who would you pick as your AL East champion?
2: I feel like everyone wants to say Toronto, and I'm not going to say they're wrong, but I'd probably still pick the Rays because the Rays are the Rays, right? Like the Rays are this, like, they made some sort of like weird deal with the devil or something where they, Where no one ever cares about them, but they have like the greatest baseball team ever, every single year. And by the way, the reason for the the reason I like the Rays is their pitching. The Rays pitching is just so good. And I know like the names in the rotation don't like jump out at you, but like I said before, from like one to thirteen pitcher pitcher pound for pound, there's no team in the AL East that's better. You have a full season of Wander Franco. You have Austin Meadows. You hope he bounces back. Like the Rays just have this way about them. So I think they're still probably the best team in the AL East, but Toronto's sort of right there beneath them, and the Yankees and Red Sox are beneath them. That's how I sort of see it right now.
0: Yeah, that makes some sense. And I know last every year since we have this one T sort comes out of nowhere, has a big run. Last year was the Giants, who most people thought were like a average team. They want to win 107 games and end up hosting the Giant Dodgers in the division series, end up losing that series. But is there a team you have your eye on that you think could do better than people think
2: they will right now? Very good question. Um, there's a, there's like a few that sort of like, these are all sort of like pie in the sky things, but like there's a couple teams that come to mind. That's like, if things break right, they could be, they could be good. Uh, and one of them is Seattle. That's not really that hot of a take. They won 90 games last year. I don't really know how they did it, but they did win ninety games. I think they got better this off season, and considering that you know Houston uh, without you know Houston is not quite as good as they were last year. And Anaheim is still Anaheim. Like if you told me that Seattle is going to win the AL West, I'd kind of buy that. Like I think it's not necessarily could be a long shot, but you know I, I kind of like them. Um, you know I think Detroit is interesting. Uh, in sort of a weak AL East or AL Central, excuse me. Like Detroit has a lot of really good young guys, and you kind of look at them as like eventually the Tigers are probably going to be good. When's it going to be? Probably not 2022, but like could it be? Yeah, it could be. And and the the other one again, this is I'm all this is all very pie in the sky stuff. But the other one, like if things break right, I mentioned them before, is Miami. Like the NL East is very, very competitive, but Miami might have the best overall starting rotation in the NL East. Despite that, even with Scherzer and DeGrom on the Mets, like one through five, especially if six Sanchez chances gets back at some point, like I'm not sure the Marlins have enough offense to put them over the hump, but that's another team where you're like, if you squint the right way and things break the right way, they could be kind of interesting. So I'm not saying I'd bet money on the Marlins or the Tigers, or the Mariners. But, like, you ask teams that you don't expect that could be good, those are three. Yeah,
0: those are the ones you keep your eye on for sure. And the other way, real quick, is there a team out there you think that might not do as well as we are prognosticating heading into the season?
2: Interesting question again. Um, I don't really know exactly what people are prognosticating with this one, but, you know, Houston, I think, is one where, like, I think you could sort of start seeing the end of the Astros a little bit, right? Like, I'm not saying it's going to be this year, but the Astros, you sort of just pencil them in. I was like, they're going to go deep in October every single year. And that's been the case every year since 2017. I think you're sort of maybe starting to see like the end of that reign, maybe like, you know, George Springer's gone and now Carlos Correa is gone. And like, yeah, Justin Verlander's back, but he's 39 years old and the rest of the rotation. Has a lot of question marks with Framber Valdez, Luis Garcia. Like the lineup should still be really good, you think? But like Yuli Gurriel is going to be thirty-eight, and like Michael Brantley going to be thirty-five, and Jose Altuve is, you know, he he may have his best years behind him. And like, I, I'm not saying they won't win the AL West; they probably will at the end of the day. But it's like I, I kind of sit here and think like maybe the maybe we're seeing sort of like the end of the Astros being the Astros right like maybe it's not in 22 but maybe it is especially with like the Mariners kind of behind them and the Angels like we make fun of them they still do have Mike Trout and Shohei Ohtani and Anthony Rendon and they added Noah Syndergaard like maybe they'll you know that's one that I sort of look at is like are they on the way down maybe I-, I could sort of see it
0: I think the one I have like Raise my eyebrows a little bit is the Phillies yes, they do have tremendous hitting and their lineup can score like ten runs a game if they want, but defense will be an adventure for them and the bullpen still an adventure for them and the pitching beyond Wheeler and Nola is I think a little questionable. So for me, I think the Phillies be the one I sort of like look at like with a little side eye if I don't know like how would they yeah. actually be?
2: Yeah, the Phillies. I don't know if the Phillies are going to be that good, but I don't really. I guess what I thought about the Phillies with your question, the reason I didn't name them is because I'm not really sure that people have that high expectations for them. Do that? maybe some more than last year? That was an 82 win team last year. And I don't really see the Phillies as better than third best man, at least at, at best. So like maybe, they, maybe they will be even worse. Uh, I don't, I don't see them as like this surefire. I, I don't know. I, I don't think the Phillies are that great. I think they're going to be fun to watch though. Their lineup's going to score an incredible amount of runs, right? Like they're going to score a ton. But their defense is going to be terrible, and I agree with you. Their pitching is like a big mess, especially because Aaron Nola is like was not Aaron Nola last yeah. year, right? Like if Aaron Nola is Aaron Nola, okay, like that's decent one too. But like he wasn't very good last year. That's so. Then you have Zach Wheeler, and who the heck knows? And they did do some things to address the bullpen, right? You bring in Brad Hand, you bring in Eury Smith. I think the bullpen is better than it was last year but that was the team that had the most blown saves in the majors in 2021. I don't think it got that much better.
0: Yeah. All right, my last question here is obviously, I know we're still in spring training right now. We're wrapping things up here, but if you had to make a pick today, who would be your World Series pick like for the matchup?
2: I've been thinking about this a lot, and it could change between now and uh, now and opening day. I don't think this is going to air before opening day. So if I tweet something different, uh, you will know, forgive me. But as I sit here right now, my World Series pick, the matchup, is the Dodgers. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be cliche, but, like, they're insanely good. <laughs> they're, like, ridiculously good. It's scary how good they are. I like them coming out of the National League. And uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the Blue Jays. I know I just said they aren't the best team in the AL East and I still kind of I do believe that but i don't know something about them that just appeals to me and i think of dodgers blue jays world series would be really 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 fun so i'm going to pick it for that reason dodgers blue jays in the world series i want to be flying back and forth from la to toronto in october i think america and canada would love to see it i think it would be a really fun series so let's make it happen
0: that would definitely be a lot of fun, Jared. Thanks a lot of time. really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'll give you a follow social media and keep up with your coverage for the Wall Street Journal.
2: Yeah, I'm just at Jared Diamond on Twitter, just J-A-R-E-D-D-I-A-M-O-N-D. I Um, I post all my stories there. It's gonna be it's gonna be a fun year. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm so glad that there's gonna be a full season. The lockout was just horrible. And uh I'm I I just like genuinely cannot wait for opening day. So let's let's get going.
0: Absolutely, Jared. Thanks all the time. Really appreciate it.
2: Anytime, man. Thanks a lot. Show me
0: the money. All right, show me the money is back. We are here doing our baseball over-unders as part of our opening day baseball podcast. Joining me today. He's done the last couple of years to do the over-unders here. A big baseball fan, legal correspondent, Phil Fred is here. Phil, how are you?
3: Hey, Mike, I'm good. Uh, I look forward to doing this every year. This is uh, one of the fun, most fun, probably the most fun segment we do every year, uh, I think. And uh, I'm happy we get to do it because a few weeks ago, uh, as we talked about a lot on this podcast, I wasn't sure if we'd be doing this, so I'm happy we're doing it.
0: Yeah, I mean, when we talked about it originally, I said, oh, you know, see you in June right? when when the, they blew past the opening day. But cool heads veil. We got a deal done. And now, you know, I feel like the lock situation, it's good we're not going to talk about it for five years, but I do think that I'm worried about what happens after this deal expires too.
3: Yeah, uh, four years from now, three and a half years from now, we'll probably start having some problems. But uh, but for now, we got baseball. So I'm ready to jump in.
0: Yeah, I am ready to jump into. I do think it was good that they managed to save all 162 games. They had the series tacked on at the end of the year. So for the Mets case, that's the Washington series. The Yankees case is the Astro series, or everyone was the four-game series. Of the Yankees. I don't know if it was Astros at Texas. The other ones basically, was beat up with double headers throughout the year. So that was a pretty clean way to just handle that first week they missed. Yeah, uh,
3: that, that that was clearly the right thing to do. It pushes the World Series back a little bit, but uh, it, it's it's not pushing it back to the point of absurdity. Yeah. So I think it's fine.
0: Yeah. And I think the, the Yankee one, I think it's unfortunate for them because they have the Texas trip. The first week of the season, that's going to be a lot of extra trips to Texas. They got to make.
3: Yeah. It's uh, not, not ideal, but that's, uh that, that's what happens uh, based on the union thing. And the Yankees have no one to blame, but themselves because their player reps
0: still voted. No on the new deal. So, <laughs> Hey, my team is right there with them. They also voted no. Yeah.
3: So uh, here, here we are.
0: Yeah. And both of our teams made some moves after the lockout here. The Mets built in their earlier haul. They get Chris Batson in here. They add Adam Adovino as a recording. Yankees do the big Josh I was right talked about the podcast a couple of weeks back. And they really didn't do a ton else other than that. But I do. What do you think of what these two teams did so far?
3: Sure. So uh, I guess we could start with the Mets because they're probably the lower hanging fruit. Uh, and the lesser of the controversial. Um, Steve Cohen flexed flexed his muscle. I think this is what every Met fan dreamed of when they found out that Steve Cohen was going to be buying the team. Uh, He went out there, he wanted Scherzer, he got him. And uh, from all accounts, I know this is pre-lockout, but from all accounts, uh, the only way to get Scherzer was to basically blow him away. He didn't want to come to New York and Cohen blew him away. So he had no choice but to say yes. So they locked him in. Bassett was a great move that adds another I think he's a number two pitcher on most teams he's your three uh so that that was great bringing him in um and uh yeah I I think they the Mets drastically improved their team this offseason and that's why their number as we'll probably talk about is up around 90 90 and a half
0: yeah I think it's the same number it was last year I think this is a better team they had last year all around
3: yeah, uh, it's it's definitely better. I mean, remember they got Carrasco coming back. Uh, th- there's there's just big improvements uh, all around. Uh, Starling Marte, forgot we haven't even mentioned him yet.
0: Yeah, well, Marte, Marquana, Eduardo Escobar, good pickups. And uh, fun fact for the Met fans, I know a lot of Met fans are a little disgruntled at the fact that you know they didn't add a one more big bat got to the Phillies added Nick Castellanos and the Braves got Matt Olson to replace Freddie Freeman here. For the five stars in that rotation, and, and made an all-star made the All Star team last year. And the fifth is Cookie Carrasco. So that t- I tells you, the state of the rotation is pretty good.
3: The Mets have a very good looking team on paper. Obviously, it's going to help. Is going to be a big one for them. Is Degrom healthy? It sure's on the decline. Is uh, was Walker a one year wonder? Uh, th- these are questions that we're going to find out. But uh, when when you look at them top to bottom, they look like a division winner team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Really Justin at the Braves all year for that NL East crown on the Yankee side. I've said to you off here, I said on the podcast too, I didn't really understand the rationale of the Donaldson move in terms of being like, this is the move of the Yankee Aussie. I thought if you partner with something else, I'm okay with it, but the something else being Anthony Rizzo for me is not enough.
3: So uh, I'm a little less pessimistic, uh, but not completely. The, uh If you remember, I came on this podcast uh, after the season was over and I said that the Yankees needed to make some serious wholesale changes, that they needed to go away from these baby bombers. It had failed and I wanted the manager out. So what they do, they gave the manager a three-year extension. So that made me upset. And I agree that a trade for Donaldson – was a strange one because payroll-wise, it wasn't a whole lot better than going out and bringing in a guy like Correa, and he's not as good as a guy like Correa. But that said, what I do like about what the Yankees did in the off-season is I like that they embraced what appears to be a wholesale and significant change of the team. So Clint Frazier is gone. Gary Sanchez is gone. Gio Urshela is gone. Glaber Torres by no means has a guaranteed starting spot on this team anymore. Uh, so when you look at that from a top to bottom uh, way of looking at it, it's a pretty substantial roster overhaul that the Yankees made by making that deal. They improved their defense up the middle uh, with the shortstop and the catcher. Um, and they had some more left-handed bats. The catcher that they brought in is a left-handed hitter. Uh, you brought Rizzo back. You still have Gallo for all his flaws. He is a uh, he can do some things very well. Uh, so, so I think they improved the team overall. Uh, but I agree that another move would, would have been what I was looking for. Now, I do know that Minaya, or Minaya, however you pronounce his name, from Oakland, it's still the lefty. is still rumored to be out there, and uh, they're they the Yankees are involved in those talks. So uh, if if you can make a move like that, bring in another pitcher, that improves the team. But but the Yankees, it, it, they can pitch. They have a pretty good staff. It's just going to come down to do you get Judge and Stanton on the field again? As much as you did last year, which is a big question mark. And if if you do, which of the supporting cast guys is going to step up? Is DJ going to come back? Is Rizzo going to have a big year? Is Donaldson going to have a big year? That that that's going to be the key for the Yankees.
0: Yeah, I think for what the, the money they did spend, I get what they're going for with the defense. I get what they were going for with Donaldson bringing the different attitude to that clubhouse. we seemed seen a little too loosey goosey last year in terms of like. Uh, you know, we don't really care if we lose or not. And Donaldson's not that kind of guy. My kids thing is, you know what, you're going to spend that kind of money. Like, I don't get why they don't just go give them Correa the contract he got from the Twins, where you have high average annual salary. He has the opt-outs built in. And then if you're worried about uh, blocking Anthony Volpe, Correa comes in has a fantastic year. He does irritate the culture of it like uh, Donaldson would too. He's younger. He's a better player. And then if he's great, he opts out. You can either re-sign him and put him in a different position or you... Keep him and and let him go. and Figure it out. I just don't. I just don't see why that didn't make sense.
3: I would have been fine with that, but the flip side of that move is now Gary's gone, Geo's gone, and I think those are material, especially Gary. Yeah. I think that Sanchez's time with the Yankees, it was time to go. He had become a a toxic player, uh, and you know he just how much long, how many more playoff series are we gonna? Watch where Gary Sanchez strikes out three times and has four pass balls. And it's it's it got to the point where I think they had to move on. So what I, what I would have done, I would have just non-tendered him and uh, gone out and signed Correa. But that's not the route they went. I agree it's a little puzzling, but I don't think it's a total disaster either. I think the Yankees are, as uh, I heard JJ say this on his podcast, and I agree, I think they are slightly better than they were at the
0: end of last season.
3: Probably not good enough to win the title, but they're better.
0: Yeah, we'll see what happens. They're in their division here, but they have one other variable removed. We're recording a couple, like, about two weeks before opening day here, and the much-ballyhooed vaccine mandate that's in keeping Kyrie Irving out of net games due, due to the fact that he's applied for a private business, that the New York City's is now apparently going to lift that for the sports team, so the entertainers and the athletes are going to be exempt from this, so... That's a big worry that both these teams have to deal with now. It's going to be off the table, originally.
3: That yeah, assuming that that is, uh, I, I know it's been reported. I don't think it's been confirmed by the city yet, but uh, but assuming that that actually does happen, that that's that's huge for the Yankees. Obviously, there's rumors about Aaron Judge and Anthony Rizzo. I don't know of anybody on the Mets of that kind of stature who has uh, those kind of allegations about them, but I'm sure there's somebody on that team who. Isn't vaccinated, so it's uh it's big for for both teams. Um, Frank, from a legal perspective, and I know this isn't a legal segment. I don't it doesn't make much sense to me how you can carve out professional sport teams as the category of employer who's not subject to this when everybody else is. So I think that this is going to result in a flood of litigation against the city, and this may signal the end of this mandate altogether. But that's neither here nor there, and it's not the purpose of this segment so uh for the purposes of this segment yeah it's it takes out a big question mark about the Yankees and the Mets and uh I haven't seen Mike uh but have you seen any movement in the numbers for the Yankees and the Mets as uh as far as the, the Vegas lines go because of this
0: I have not I looked after the news came out the number the, in terms of the win-loss totals they've stayed pretty much the same so I haven't looked at the actual like odd movement for the like futures in terms of winning a division, winning a title, but I know that the Mets are probably, I've been one of the more popular bets. Another plus a thousand earlier to win the world. Series. there have been a lot of people getting on them.
3: Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm curious uh, if, it, if it did change the number at all. Um, and maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. Uh, I would think that it did, unless it was baked in on the Vegas sides. Although one thing that we didn't mention, and we should mention uh, with respect to the Yankees, is that they have a whole different issue, which is that they're in the same division as the Blue Jays. And the Canadian government has n- from no indication that they are going to lift their vaccine rules. So uh, any unvaccinated member of a visiting team is not allowed in the country of Canada. Without the quarantine. So, uh, right. Uh, without, without a quarantine, which means no plane. Uh, so, the Yankees play, uh, I believe it's nine games up in Tampa, or in Toronto, rather. So uh, that's nine games against probably the best team in the division that if the allegations are true, you don't have a judge in Rizzo. So that it has got to hurt the Yankee number.
0: Yeah, it's definitely got to hurt it a little bit. I also will also point out here the Met thing is big for them also because last year, in case you forgot, they were not one of those teams that did not reach the 85% uh, tier one threshold to get the loosened in COVID protocols from the league. And there was actually pointed out that a lot of it was due to players not taking it. And there were rumors that about half a team was not vaccinated last year. And I know they changed out some bodies and some guys sure did get vaccinated in the off season. They didn't want to do it during the season, but not having to worry about that is huge. Yeah. Uh,
3: I don't, I don't know. I don't have the schedule do the Mets have to go to Toronto this year. They do not. All right. So then they don't have to worry about it at all. Uh, I don't believe anybody else has that. I think even San Francisco let up on this. So, um,
0: Yeah, I think so, yeah. the only way the Mets have to worry about it is if the COVID is still an issue in October and they're playing the World Series. So I hope we're having that discussion because that would be a very fun spot for me.
3: Yeah, uh, I guess if they're going to Toronto for the World Series or if something with the pandemic happens, it's unexpected and New York or one of these other blue cities uh, reinstitutes some sort of restriction.
0: Yeah, and we're going to go now. We're going to go to the over-unders here. We are going to go off of the DraftKings numbers here for Vegas totals. Last year, we ended up in a tie. We both went four and two, so we had very good years last year. So I'm going to, as the guest, I'll let you pick the order here. Do you want to go first this year or second and third? It's going to be a snake after that. I think I took the second and third last year, so uh, I'm going to stick with that. All right, so. I'm going to go up first here with my first pick. I'm trying to look at the board, see what I really like in terms of this one. And I think to me, I'm going to jump on an under first. Give me the Cincinnati Reds under 74 and a half wins. Because to me, I look at what they've done. They basically stripped that team apart. They dumped Jesse Winker, who was an all-star in the matters, to get rid of Hanyo Suarez's money, to let Wade Miley go on a waiver claim for nothing. They have been slashing salary left and right. And they traded Sonny Gray. The Twins, they got basically nothing in return. I think numbers too high. I think it's a very bad baseball team. I think the division is a little better than we think. I mean, the Cubs are actually trying to semi-rebuild. The Cardinals and the Brewers are good. The Pirates stink, but the National League is very tough. 74.5 wins is, I think, a bit too high. I'm going to take the under on that one.
3: Uh, you don't have to convince me. Uh, I think you, if you go over the historical numbers, I have... Always picked against Cincinnati. Uh, I think they've been an overrated team for the past few years, and now they uh, essentially dumped their entire roster for salary purposes. So uh, I I think that's a good pick, and
0: that was on my list of potential options. All right, so you're up now. Where do you go with your first pick? So first pick uh, I'm
3: going to do is I am going to go – over on the 85 and a half for the giants uh i think i went under on the giants last year and uh that bit me pretty bad but you know this is a team that won 107 games last year and i understand that some of that looked like it was done with smoke and mirrors but want to go from 107 to 85 that's a big drop in a, in a year so I'm confident that I can get the Giants over the 85 and a half. Maybe they win 90 games or something like in that range, but that means I win comfortably. So give me the Giants.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about that one, too. It's a good value play because, again, like you're banking 18 games of regression in there, and that seems like a big overcorrection. And they did lose Kevin Gauss, and I know they did lose uh, Chris Bryant for agency, but they did a good job retaining that core, and they do have a very analytically savvy staff. So they am sure they made some sap- strong pickups here. I would not be shocked if you know maybe they're an 88 win team instead of a nine instead of a 108 win team, and that and you still win the over but they don't make the playoffs.
3: That's yeah, that that that's my thinking there. It's it's a big drop. It's just a, re- a really, really big drop. Uh second pick. I am gonna go with an under. Um give me it's, it's pretty much an annual pick on this podcast, but give me the Baltimore Orioles under on the 62 and a half. Uh, The Orioles have done basically nothing to improve from last year. Last year, they only won 52 games. I don't have any reason to believe that they're going to have a 10-game jump in a division that, as you've mentioned, is highly competitive. Last year, four of those teams won more than 90 games, and all four of them, are, if they're any worse, it's not a lot worse. And I think Toronto is substantially better than they were last year. So give me Baltimore under 62 and a half.
0: Yeah, it's another one I was very high on, too, because, again, the Orioles, like, there are pieces coming. They have the catcher, Adley Rutschman. They have Grayson Rodriguez and another big prospects supposed to come up this year. But even those three guys come are amazing. This team still has way too many holes to contend that division and, and deal with... 19 games each against the Red Sox, Rays, Yankees, and Blue Jays. That's a lot of losses you're piling in there.
3: Yeah, I uh, agree. And you say what you want about the Yankees, and there's, there's reasons to criticize them, but they do have a team that is built to just absolutely mash a team like the Orioles, and so are the Red Sox for that matter. So that's what I think is going to happen. I expect the Red Sox to just get, and the uh, Orioles rather, to just get beat up by teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox.
0: Yeah, I'm going to take my first over here. I'm going to take the Mariners over 83-and-a-half. And I think this team was a game away from the playoffs last year. They should have got in the last week of the season. They had a big loss to Oakland in the 2nd last game of the season. Could have forced a wild series of tie in that case. They made some good moves in the offseason. I mean, they bring in Robbie Ray. They bring in uh, the tr- the trade from the Reds. to get Jesse Winker and Eugenio Suarez to bolster that roster. And I think... The AL West has definitely gotten a lot worse. The Astros got worse. The A's basically ripped the team of the studs. They don't buy the Angels here. I think that's a very low bar for the Mariners to clear. That's, five, again, about six wins worse than last year, and I think they're a better team.
3: Yeah, I like that, I like that pick. Uh, the Mariners are a sneak, one of those sneaky teams. A lot of people would probably would be surprised to know that they won 90 games last year, but they did. Uh, they were in it until the last weekend of the year, like you said. So uh, I can see them... 83 and a half, all you're really asking for is that they're competitive, and I can see that.
0: Yeah, again, I think even if they get do what they did last year, I, I'm still winning the bet, and I think the division is a much better path for them than it was last year. Agreed. Alright, you're up now. Are you going with your next pick? Uh, let me go with
3: another over. I want to go over on the Detroit Tigers. Uh, the number I've got them listed at is 77 and a half. The Tigers won 77 games last year. They have a young bunch of players and up-and-coming young stars. Uh, all I need them to do is be better than they were last year. I think I can get that, so give me over on the
0: Tigers. Yeah, it's definitely a fair bet. Plus, they do bring the splash, bring Javi Baez in in the offseason to play shortstop for them. And you figure, you know, you might see Spencer Torkelson this year. You have a lot of young pitching and get better. The Tigers are really a fun team to watch this year.
3: Yeah, I think they 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 they're on the up. They're on the up and up. Uh, I, I'm not sure if this is the year that they make that that leap, but they're they're an improving team. And uh, I 77 and a half is not a huge number. I just need them to be a competitive team.
0: All right, I'm up now. I'm gonna take another over here. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on the Mets over the 19 and a half wins because I do think that the way they built this team is a lot better than it's been in the past. They have more pitching. They have better pitching depth than they do. The lineup, they made some necessary changes. Now there's more contact. There's less strikeouts. They're going to play better defensively, particularly up the middle of the field. And I think, I know the division is tricky, but I think this is a low bar to clear. Plus, you know that the owner is willing to spend whatever it takes. They want to take out money during in-season to get a big bat that they need or a big bullpen arm. I think there's going to be commitment to improve from the Mets. I think they get bounce backs from Lindor and some of the other offensive guys. I'll take the over in the 90 and a half.
3: The Mets were on my list for the overs too. I, I like it. I think it's a good pick.
0: Yeah, I just feel like I we've all, I think you and I picked them going over each of the last like four years doing this. So I feel like this year we're due to get get it right.
3: Yeah, it's been it's been a while. It's been a while since they went over, but uh, we've been
0: picking it over and over again, and uh, eventually I think it's gonna happen. All right, so yeah. why not now? All right, next up here. You are up now. You have so far used two overs and one under.
3: Two overs and an under. All right. Uh, I got to search the list a little bit here, Um, but I'm leaning towards a pick. I just want to make sure that that's the one I want to go with. Yeah, I'll do it. Give me the the Guardians, as they're now called, under. So I want to go under on the Guardians under 76 and a half. I just don't think Cleveland's a very good team. I, I took them on the under last year and that proved to be correct. Uh, and uh, what have they done to really improve that team? Not much. I, I haven't seen much now. I get it. 76 and a half isn't a big number. They, they just need to be competitive. And, but I got the tigers improving. I don't think the white Sox are worse. I think Minnesota's clearly better. I think uh, Kansas City is clearly better. I could see the Guardians being a last place team in that division. So let them go under on the Guardians.
0: I like that pick also because you know that they get off to a bad start. They're going to trade Jose Ramirez the deadline to maximize the return they can get on him. So that's another one that, like, if they're sitting there at like 32 and like 47 in like June, they're going to start listening to those offers. And you're sitting there knowing if he goes, basically the, the whole thing just goes off the cliff at that point. I agree. All right, so I'm up now here. I have used so far two overs and one under. I'm going to go back to the under pile here. I'm going to take the Los Angeles Angels under 83 and a half. And I do feel like this is one that every year everybody wants to buy in on the Angels, but to me, I haven't seen like what they still haven't fixed their pitching, and they their pitching has been a big issue for years now, and I'm looking at right now at the starting rotation. I mean, the big moves, and yes, they had Shohei Otani here. They brought in Noah Sindergaard and Michael Lorenzen as are two big moves for the starting rotation here. That's not good enough in my opinion. And I think you have now injury concerns with Rendon has missed time. Trout's going off a very lost year. Otani is, I mean, can he do the same thing on both offense and pitching again? I don't know. I think people are a little bullish on the end, so they want to see Trout and Otani in the playoffs. I just don't see it. I think they're going to go under this number.
3: I completely agree with you. I have Nothing. Uh, nothing. I completely agree. The Angels are a team that every single year everybody wants to go over on, and you're right. It's Otani. It's Trout. We want to see them be good. They're just not a good team. They're a mediocre team, and the reason why is they can't pitch.
0: Yeah, I have the rotation on my right now in front of me heading into this. Right now, the rotation is Shohei Otani, Noah Syndergaard. Patrick Sandoval, Jose Suarez, and Michael Lorenzen. I don't care what division you're in. That's not a playoff rotation.
3: No, uh, absolutely not. And this is not to take anything away from Shohei Otani, who deserves nothing but praise. But the guy, he did throw, what, 130 innings last year? I'm yep. looking at it now, 130 innings. So he's, he's not a true ace uh, in turn, unless they're gonna increase his workload such that he's throwing like 200 innings, but I don't expect that because you've also got the guy as the DH, and other than Trout, he's the best hitter on the team, so you're not taking him out of the lineup. So I, I agree, I, I don't, I just don't see it,
0: yeah, especially because if they're committed to pitching every six day, to preserve his arm, he's not gonna get as much impact on the mound as you would probably need to beat this number,
3: yeah, I agree. Unless no Syndergaard's going back to the Cy Young caliber pitcher he was with the Mets. I don't see it.
0: All right. You are up now. So so far we have you each used two overs, two unders. You have one left of each. All right, I'm gonna go with a I think a surprising
3: over. And I'm gonna go and I'm a little hesitant about it, but I'm still gonna do it. Dodgers, 97 and a half. I'm gonna go over. And I know that 97 and a half is a huge number, but this is a team that wins 105 games every single year. And I have no reason to believe the Dodgers are any worse this year than they've been the last few years. They brought in Freddie Freeman. Uh, I think there's not much more to add when it comes to a team like the Dodgers. They're a team of superstars. Uh, I, I think the Dodgers are going to go over that number.
0: Yeah. I think for me, the thing I would be concerned about the Dodgers is the back of the rotation, because I mean, they do have, Bueller and Urias on top. Kershaw is back. He's had injury issues. Trevor is on suspension indefinitely. You he figure he's not going to be on the team event at some point. Andrew Heaney's in there right now as their fifth star, which is, you know, as a Yankee, that's not great. Like, I don't know if I trust the number to go because that's again, that's a very, very high bar to clear.
3: It's a big number and it scares me a little bit, but the track record speaks for itself. This this team just continues to win 100 games, so I'm going to bet that they can do it again.
0: Yeah, and you look at the everyday lineup they have here. I mean, you have Will Smith on the plate, Freeman, Chris Taylor, Justin Turner, Trey Turner, Pollock, Bellinger, Betts, Max Muncie. That's your starting nine. That's pretty damn good. No, it's just,
3: it's, I don't think anybody has got a better lineup in baseball.
0: I don't think so. so. Toronto's close.
3: Toronto's close. Yeah. They're just hitters all over the place. Uh, I, it's hard for me to it's hard for me to say this team can't win hundred games again.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna go now. I still have to try and decide if I want to take my last under here, go with the last over. I think we're gonna take the over because only the on the under here. I'm gonna take the Blue Jays over 92 and a half wins. I think I think it's a Toronto to lose, to be honest with you. I feel like the move they made in the offseason, the trade for Matt Chapman was a, was a smooth move. I like that they did with Kikuchi as a four starter. They extend Barrios. Now he's there for a full year. They get Gausman over. They did lose some big guys. They lost the Cy Young winner, Rob Ray. They lost Marcus Semien. But as a whole, that team is pretty scary. And I think even with the lower division, I think they are talented now. They're going to win like 95 games at least and win the AL East. Uh, well, that's, uh,
3: that's the Vegas pick. DraftKings right now has got them at plus 185 to win the division. The Yankees are at 195, so I'm not can't argue against you. Uh, That that sure, I, I could certainly see Toronto going over that number. I think I think that that's a division that I've tried to stay away from because there's just so much. With the exception of the Orioles, we know they'll be bad, but the other four teams, I could see them winning anywhere from 80 five to a hundred games and any four of them. So it's just, it, it, it becomes a little bit of a scary situation because they, they beat each other. You know, they, they, they catch each other in a bad week. And all of a sudden the blue Jays lost seven games in a row, something like that. But, uh, but I, I agree that they're the favorite to win the division and sort of the line makers. So I, I get where you're headed with that pick.
0: Plus the other thing I like in my favor with picking was an over here is that, with the vaccination rules in Canada, there's a plenty of teams rolling in there down a key guy or two who are not vaccinated. And that's going to be plays the blue Jays benefit at these home games.
3: Yeah. That, that's a huge advantage. Although has, uh, have we found out are there any players on the blue Jays who may have a problem because of this
0: rule? As, as far as I'm aware of, I don't think they got to have, I think they built their roster knowing what they had to deal with.
3: All right. Well, uh, it'll be interesting to see, but, uh, but yeah, that, that is a bit of a, additional home field advantage you could say
0: yeah because so I, I, I mean we saw we heard that xander Bogaerts got vaccinated just to make sure he could play in those games and we don't know of any any of the unvaccinated yankees have made that decision yet
3: yeah well we'll see uh but but it is a bit of a home field advantage and
0: there's certainly going to be somebody on every team who comes in who's not vaccinated all right absolutely you have one pick left it is an under so what are you going to do with the under
3: I mean, a lot of stuff's off the board here, so there's nothing that I'm crazy about. But let let me do it. Let me go under on the Texas Rangers in the 74 and a half. I I mean, the the Rangers won 60 games last year. They're not a very good team. I know that they had the active offseason. I know they brought in Seager. Uh, I know they brought in... Was Simeon also, right? Yeah, and John Gray on the mound. John Gray. I know they made a lot of moves, uh, but is it enough for them to be competitive in a division that still has a good Houston team, a good Seattle team, a bad Oakland team? And the Angels, while I, I agree with you that they're an under, I don't think they're a bad team. The Angels are usually a team going to hover around 500. So with a division like that, can the Texas Rangers improve by 15 wins? I'm not sure. So give me Rangers on the under.
0: Yeah, it's a good point because I know they got significantly better. There might be 10 wins better, but 15 wins better is a definitely a huge bar to clear. Yeah,
3: it's, it's a big bar and look, Seager, great player. Uh, he's hurt a lot. Yeah, um, so maybe he gets injured. Marcus Simeon. Who who's the real Marcus Simeon? Is he the guy we saw in Toronto or is he the guy who we saw in Oakland? Because they're drastically different players. Yeah, they so, are. Uh, let, let's find out those things out. So that, that's my logic there. Again, it's not it's not my favorite pick. That's why it's my last pick. But uh, that's where that's where I'm going.
0: Yeah, I think for my last pick here, I'm going to go to the National League East. I'm going to take the Washington Nationals under 71 and a half wins. And this is a team that's clearly in the middle of rebuild. Yes, they have one of the five best players in the sport in Juan Soto, but they did strip down a lot last year. They lost even more guys. Ryan Zimmerman retired. I don't see where this roster gets better because Nelson Cruz, I mean, they signed him for a year because they basically trade father once the deadline hits and he's going to go to the next possible better. They play in the same division as the Mets as the Phillies, as the defending champion Braves. Yeah, the Marlins in there are not pushovers, have a great rotation. I think they could pop a lot of losses in the division. 71.5 is not a, I know it's a low bar to clear, but I don't think they're going to clear. I think this is about like a 66-67 win team.
3: Yeah, that's that tracks. Uh, the Nationals are not a very good team. You're right, Juan Soto is one of the best players in the sport, but uh, I'm sorry Juan He walked 145 times last year. He may walk more than that this year. Nobody's pitching a Juan Soto.
0: Yeah, I think there's a very good chance if, like, if there's a a man on first base and Juan Soto can beat Juan Soto's getting walked every single time.
3: Yeah, that's it's pretty much. Yeah. uh, Yeah, there's just nobody there. Um, I don't don't even know who their next best hitter is behind Soto. Is it Josh Bell? Is he still there? Yeah, Josh Bell's still there. Yeah, I mean, uh, okay. He's a solid hitter. Uh, that's about it. So yeah, there's just there's not much there that you you'd be uh, worried about. And and then there's also the pitching. I mean, with Scherzer out of there, who I don't love the pitching. Is Patrick Corbin? Who's he? Is he the guy we've seen the last year and a half, or is he the guy they had in 2019? Who knows?
0: Yeah, I'm looking at their roster right now. I mean, the pitching wise, you have Strasburg there, but Strasburg, they said that they're they're bringing him along slowly. They don't want to race him into the season. Josiah Gray, they got from the Dodgers. Corbin, Eric Fetty, and Animal Sanchez the rotation, which is not great.
3: I can't believe Annabelle Sanchez is still in the major
0: leagues. Yeah, yeah, he just came uh, came back. And then your your everyday position players are Kiebert Ruiz. They got in the Max Scherzer trade last year. Josh Bell, Cesar Hernandez, Michael Franco, C.O.s Escobar, Wayne Thomas, Victor Robles, Juan Soto, and Nelson Cruz. That's a very bad baseball team.
3: Yep, that is a bad baseball team.
0: All right, so to reset the over-unders here on the list, Phil went with the Giants over 85.5, the Orioles under 62.5, an annual pick here on the podcast, the Orioles under, the Tigers over 77.5, the Guardians under 76.5, the Dodgers over ninety-seven and a half, and the Rangers under seventy-four and a half. How are you feeling about that group picks?
3: I like them. Uh, the last two, I'm a little more queasy about, but uh, I, I like the first four a lot, and uh, I'm, you know, I think shooting for that four and two again. I think that's what you always shoot for when you do this.
0: Yeah, I have the Reds under seventy-four and a half, the Mariners over eighty-three and a half, the Mets over ninety and a half the angels under 83 and a half Toronto over 92 and a half and the nationals under 71 and a half. I feel pretty solid about these. I think, again, I think a solid four and two is in play, depending on how some of these bounce.
3: Yeah, uh, that that sounds about right. And uh, thanks to some legislation that was passed earlier this year, I'm, I actually intend to put uh, some, some actual money down on these picks this year. I'm going to put 10 bucks per team and we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking to do the same as well with my picks just to see if I can profit off any of them. And the one number we did not touch in terms of the local angle here, the Yankee number right now is 91.5 wins. Remember last year it was about 95.5. We didn't touch it. And I think it was probably the smart play. I think it's think a smart play here for us not to touch the number. I feel like that's about where they are going to end up.
3: I will never touch a Yankee number. Uh, and the reason why I won't touch a Yankee number is because. I need to know how many games are Aaron judge and Giancarlo Stanton going to play. And nobody can possibly answer me that number. So uh, that's why I won't touch him. If you tell me those two guys are going to play full seasons, I'll go over on the Yankees, but I there's no reason for me to believe those guys are going to play full seasons. Uh, And so I'm going to stay away from the Yankee number. Uh, I, I think it's a right number, 91 and a half. Um, and it, it does capture the kind of baseball team the Yankees have been for the past year and a half.
0: Yeah, this is not like where we're entering 2019, 2019, I think, or even original twenty twenty when they first signed Cole. For the pandemic, scuttled the about a hundred two games in the season here. I think if you was done a twenty twenty number, I think on March fifth, that number would be probably in the high nineties.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, uh, and we're gonna find out what who the Yankees are. Um, they, they, but. 2019 is a long time ago now. So the Yankees I've seen for the past year and a half have been a 91-92 win type team. Uh, show me that you're better than that. We'll, we'll see.
0: I think the key for them this year, is they, they, they have to get the to second place at the division because I think even with the extra wild cards, like considering how strong the East is and how they're beat each other up, I think, I see, I think it's be hard for me to see a scenario where teams three and four in the East get in. Whereas you have a team in the central twins who can beat up on the tigers and the Royals and the guardians and get a wildcard spot. And I think in the West.
3: I, I agree. Uh, But look, uh, with with the Yankees, I'm, I, I was real clear about this real clear about this on your podcast. I am tired of the attitude that they've accomplished anything. This team has not accomplished a thing. They've regressed significantly since 2017 and 2019 even. Uh, so if the Yankees want to show me something, go out there, forget wild cards, go win the division. Show me that you're for real, go win the division. But to me, as I said earlier, the key to the Yankees is twofold. Do Judge and Stanton play? And if so, who else is going to step up? Because last year, the answer to that second question was nobody. It was Judge, Stanton, and nobody else. No one hit Gallo didn't hit, a lick, Sanchez didn't hit, Torres didn't hit, Lemayhu didn't hit, so on, Geo didn't hit, so on and so forth. Somebody else has got to step up. And maybe it's DJ, maybe it's Glaber, maybe it's Anthony Rizzo, I don't know who it is, Josh Donaldson for that matter, someone's got to step up along with Judge and Stan. Because, Mike, I, if, for people who watch this podcast, it got to the point at the end of that season where if it wasn't the inning where Judge and Stan were up, you knew they had no chance of scoring a run.
0: Yeah, that's certainly true. I think that, obviously, general health is a big deal for them, considering how many guys they have come off of injuries or injury histories. But I'll also say here, I think the big thing to watch them is, like, what does Garrett Cole look like this year without the spider attack? Because, you know, last year he struggled with it. He looked a little bit at the end of the year. They got they hurt the hamstring and had played down the stretch here. If Garrett Cole was just very good Garrett Cole, not superstar Garrett Cole, I think then the Yankees have to worry a little bit because their depth behind him is not great.
3: No, they need Garrett Cole to be the best pitcher in baseball again. Uh, He was for the first until a spider attack thing. Uh, We'll see if he can come back. You're right that uh, I have a little confidence because before that hamstring injury, he was pitching very, very well again. Then he pulled the hammy and he struggled in the last couple of starts. And obviously we have a bad taste in our mouth because of what happened in Boston. So I'm confident that Garrett Cole can come back, but he better come back because uh, his, the taste that he left in Yankee fans mouth was not, not what they paid for. Um, and, and then, but they, they do have some other arms back there. I just don't, we don't know what to make of them. Uh, Montgomery seems like a solid pitcher. It, what Severino, who the hell knows? It's Been forever since he pitched. Is Nestor Cortez for real? I, I like that kid, Heel, when he came up, he he showed me some lively he showed me a lively arm. We're gonna see more of him. Uh you've got Debbie Garcia down in the minor leagues. The Yankees have a lot of arms with a lot of arm talent, but none of those guys are really established with the exception of Cole. So you're right about that. And then in the bullpen, well the ball, the Yankee bullpen is what it is. Uh and, and then we have the question of, you know, the the always enigma that is a this chapman uh for a while he's the best closer in the league then he can't throw a strike then he's good again so what what are we going to get with a this
0: chapman who the hell knows yeah absolutely fun season phil thanks for all time really appreciate
3: it all right th- thanks mike i'm looking forward to the season uh april 7 can't come soon enough <laughs>
0: Alright, I want to wrap up the show, Zeke, with the two-minute drill Marvel edition here. I want to talk about the latest Marvel show. came out Moon Knight. The first episode dropped on March 30th, and I gotta say, very different Marvel experience than what you're used to, because now in the modern age of Marvel, we sort of have the It's All Connected situation where characters pop up into other shows. You have movies where Spider-Man and Doctor Strange are basically sharing a movie. Doctor Strange is sharing a movie with Scarlet Witch. We get a completely, at the beginning at least, disconnected Marvel entry with Moon Knight, starring Oscar Isaac as the titular Moon Knight be- with the two separate personalities being the main thrust of the storyline here in terms of Moon Knight. You have, obviously, the assassin profile who is played by who is called Mark Spector, and he has a- another identity called Stephen Grant, who is basically the you know average like, gift shop guy at a museum in London. And we're seeing how Oscar Isaac plays this disassociative identity disorder person and the superhero. I think the thing I like about this show, it's very dark. It is not something that you usually get with Marvel. We usually get all this happy-go-lucky stuff. They really let Oscar Isaac have a meal of Playing a character who has multiple personalities and not really understanding what's going on here. I like what they're doing here because in the premiere, you got sequences where the main character we only really see the Stephen Grant persona, the average guy persona. Basically, he is losing time, and we're seeing things happen. And like after flashes, where you see where one personality goes to sleep, the Mark Specter persona takes over. Where, for example. He, at one point, is in the Alps. And he is being approached by uh, five guys saying, asking them to hand over this amulet. Screen cuts to black. We come back. They're all on the ground. He's covered in blood. And he's still holding the amulet. We don't see how that happened. Those flashes make it a lot of fun. And seeing him play this character in multiple different ways and embracing the real horror genre, which Marvel has not done yet, I think is very exciting. And for me... I think it's very original because it's not something Disney Plus has done yet. All their shows to this point, the WandaVision, Falcon Winter Soldier, Loki, Hawkeye, What If, those are all based on characters we knew already. You are now using this six-episode event series to establish a brand-new character in a brand-new way. I think it's going to be very fun, very intriguing. I'm excited to see what happens with this. I'm happy that they have F. Murby a- Abraham in this show as the voice of Kanchu, who basically is insulting the Stephen Cramp persona. When he's in control. A lot of fun. Ethan Hawke is the villain is going to be exciting. So I highly recommend checking the show out. If you have not yet. I think it's a lot of fun. And it's going to be on Wednesdays through May 4th on Disney+. Plus. We'll see what happens with the character after this. See, you figure it may at the end they'll have some sort of tie-in. Where it brings in closer to the main universe. But fun start for Moon Knight. And with that I want to end this week's show. I want to thank our guest Troy Moriello. For hopping on here. To talk all about the. College basketball season, the wrap up of the national championship game. We'll look ahead to 2022, 23, but definitely a fun year covering college basketball, Troy. I also want to thank Jared Diamond for taking the time to at us preview the baseball season and Phil Friday, I just heard a few minutes ago doing our MLB over under picks. I still feel okay about the Matt one, even with the Jacob DeGrom injury. I think I will be able to survive that one, but it might be a little tighter than I wanted. If you want to go like this podcast, including a look at the Masters this week. There's too much going on. You're not time to get a podcast spot recorded for that. But do doing a preview on the blog. Check out just on the suffering dot Go subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify. And, as I mentioned at the top of the show, simply search for just and the suffering your favorite podcast platforms. You can find all episodes there. Feel free to also subscribe to the Sky Guys podcast on those platforms as well with Star Wars coverage. We finished the Star Wars character brag, and next week we're going to start the Obi Wan cut where you go back and look at some of the pre-Obi-Wan Kenobi material, see what Obi-Wan does in the movies and Clone Wars, how it could impact his show. So we're starting with episode one. There's not a ton of Obi-Wan in it, but I think there is still some valuable stuff there. So you want to get that podcast, check out the Sky Guys feed if you want to do all that. You also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's mphilips i p s three three one, And that's going to do it for this week's show. We're going to transition now into NFL draft coverage we're talking some giants some jets general draft preview next couple of weeks not going to tell you the order yet we're going to surprise you on that but until then enjoy the baseball season everybody and congratulations to our national champions and